This audio recording is presented by New City in downtown Orlando. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Good morning. How are you? It's so good to be with you guys. Um, Leah and I have thoroughly enjoyed getting to know everyone, and we look forward to getting to know even more of you. And I'm so thankful to have this opportunity to get a continue in our series in Galatians chapter 4. Now, this is an interesting passage. It's unique uh, for at least one reason, and that is because there's no explicit doctrinal teaching in this passage. And if you've been with us in Galatians, as Paul is making this argument to the church in Galatia against these false teachers, uh, he's been very rich and rigorous with doctrinal teaching, and he's used all types of things. He's used his amazing theological mind. He's used satire. He's used everything he can employ. And then you get to this passage, and it's almost as though he hits the pause button, and he sort of grabs their face, and he says, look at me. Look at me. Don't you remember me? Don't you remember who I am? Do you remember what God did among us when I was there? Do you remember that blessing? And so I don't think I would have chosen this passage as the first passage as the community group's pastor to preach. But as I was studying it, I thought, you know what? I don't know if I could have picked a better one, to be honest with you. Because this passage is all about gospel ministry. And I'm going to describe gospel ministry. I'm not going to define it, but I'm going to describe it as something like this. Gospel ministry is when you or I or people are used by God as agents of change by the power of the gospel. To say it another way, who doesn't want to be used by God in the lives of others by the power of the gospel to be an agent in their life of change, whether it's your neighbor or your coworker or someone in your community group or your children. Of course, we want to be used by God. Of course, we want to be agents of change. Of course, we want to be engaged in this gospel ministry that Paul describes. And this is one of the reasons I'm so excited about my opportunity as the community group's pastor, because a big part of my job is to help assimilate people into community, to disciple leaders who disciple leaders in gospel ministry. So that we would become a culture of people who are ministering to one another. And in this passage, Paul tells us at least four principles that we're going to pull out about the nature of gospel ministry. And the first thing he says is the context of gospel ministry is present relationship. The context 
is present relationship. Look with this. Look with me in verse 12. He says, brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. Now, the first couple times you read this verse, it can be a little cryptic, right? It took me a few times I had to read it. I think a good rendering could also be, become like me, for I became like you. Let's start at the first part, become like me. In context, Paul is begging these people. He's pleading with these people, be free as I am free. You weren't free, you became free, and now you're tempted to leave freedom for religion. And Rue talked about that last week and all of our proclivity to do that exact same thing. And Paul is saying, become like me, become free in Christ like me. And then the second part of what he says, he says, for I have become like you. And he's talking about the first time he came and ministered to them. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul tells us this is the practice of his ministry. Okay? Paul says, I become all things to all people, no matter who they are, that I may save some, that I may be used by them. Now, this might or could be received as uh, manipulation, right? I become all things to all people so that I can get what I want done. But no, 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 that's not manipulation. This is relationship. This is the nature of every relationship. To have a true relationship with someone, you must meet them where they are. You must come to them to enable them to reciprocate, right? So yesterday, I'm at Princeton Park with my daughter, my oldest daughter, Olivia. And if you've been to Princeton Park, there is this little window and it says convenience store or something like that. And she was behind it and she said, Daddy, what do you want to order? And so I walk over to her. And I'm about to speak. And she says, no, 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 come down to me. Come down to me. Of course she did. So I, I, I got squatted down and I looked her in the face and I said, I want, and I gave her my order and she acted like she was writing it down. Why did she want me to do that? Well, it's normal, right? It's normal for us to get on the level of a child and speak to them, to become as they are, to meet them where they are in order that they can reciprocate to us in relationship. That's no different than what Paul has done. And that's exactly what Jesus did. In fact, he's taking this from Jesus. As the father sent me, I sent you. Jesus came down to us. This is a practice of Paul's ministry. It was a practice of Jesus's ministry. And he then goes on to describe what they felt when he was present with them in relationship. Look at this with me. Right after this, he says this very interesting uh, phrase, you did me no wrong. What does he mean by that? Well, it's a statement of fact. He's saying, when I came to you at first, you received me. I have no complaint against you whatsoever. And the way this phrase works in the context is he's actually using it to, as an entreaty to say, in the same way that you did me no wrong, don't start doing me wrong now. And if they don't listen to him, they're doing him wrong. So he's saying, in the same way you received me before, Receive me now. Receive my plea to you. So that's what he's doing. He's saying, come to me, reciprocate to me, listen to my words. And then he goes on to explain the blessedness of that present relationship that they had when they were together. Listen to this. He says, you know, it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of the blessing you felt? You would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Now we're going to come back to this issue that changed, but, but what he's doing is he's saying, remember the relationship we had. Do you remember when I was with you? And although you were tempted 
to put me away. And this is why. In the Greek culture, as well as the Jewish culture, if a person was physically ill, if they were visibly ill, you, you just expected that it was because of some sin they had committed. And so therefore you wouldn't listen to them. We see this in the gospels when Jesus is walking with some of the disciples and they say, you see this person over here? What happened? Did they sin or did their parents sin or did someone else sin? And they would have had the same worldview. And so Paul is saying, the very fact that you received me says something about the nature of the relationship we had and God's work in you, God's work in our relationship. And so they received Paul. They received him as a apostle, capital A, from God with this message. And he says they experienced this amazing blessing. So much so that they would have given him something as valuable as their eyes to him. Now, some commentators say maybe Paul had malaria and he had to get away from the ocean and he went up into the higher lands and elevations of Galatia and that's what was wrong with him. And some say, no, actually what it was is there was something wrong with his eyes. Now we don't know, but what we do know is that he was visibly ill. The Galatians received him anyway and they were so blessed by his ministry to them that they would have given him something as valuable as their eyes. It's powerful. And we, I think we, some of us, many of us, I hope, have experienced this. When you're in present relationship and you're reciprocating back and forth and the gospel is at the center and people's lives are being changed, there is a joy that comes up out of that. There is a deep joy. And that's the context of gospel ministry. It's almost like the soil of the growth of a Christian, the soil is this relationship. It is this present relationship. And in fact, Paul knows that it's so powerful that in verse 20, he says, I wish I could be present with you now. Because he knows he's at a disadvantage here, right? The false teachers, they're actually present in Galatia. But he's not, so he's trying the best he can by writing this letter. You want to know why we're so adamant at New City about getting people in community groups? Getting people living life together in community? It's because of this. It's because we know and understand it to be a norm in the Bible that people experience the most blessed gospel growth when, people, when other people are present with them in relationship, both physically, emotionally, and spiritually. All of those things. And so we talk about community groups. We've structured our church in such a way where we're getting people constantly into smaller communities so that they can live life together. But you see, it's not merely community. It's not merely being present with one another. Paul also says that there is an intentionality to this. There's a means that God uses in relationship to grow his people. There's a means to gospel ministry. And he says that that means is zealous intentionality. Look with me in verse 17 here. He says to them, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. Now, We'll come back to the the rest of that, but look with me at 18a as well. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. So you see that phrase, made much of, okay? It's one word in Greek, and it could be translated two ways. It could be translated jealousy, or it could be translated zeal. But actually, the words fit together much better in Greek, and so the idea in English would be uh, to pursue someone, or to be deeply concerned with someone to the point of courting their favor. And so what this means, to say it another way, is to passionately pursue someone, to passionately pursue them in the midst of relationship in order to win their trust, 
in order to, to let them love you, in order to let them, I'm sorry, in, yeah, in order to get them to let, what am I trying to say? What do you do when you're intentional, right? When you're intentional with people, you want them to understand why you're being intentional to them. Maybe that's a better way to say it. You're courting them. This is what we do, right? There's nothing wrong with this. There's nothing at all wrong with this. This is incredibly blessed. For example, what we just witnessed with Mark and Emily and Maggie, the vows that they took, they are saying, I'm going to be present with my child, yes, but I have an intention. I will raise them in the fear of the Lord. I will teach them how to pray. I will love them as Christ has loved me. This is normal. This is good. This is natural. In fact, the only reason I am where I am today and that I love Jesus the way I love him is because in the midst of his work in me, he brought people into my life who looked at me and they said, I see something in you. Come with me. Follow me as I follow Christ and I want to help you grow. I have a vision for your life. This is totally good. This is totally right. This is gospel ministry. Gospel ministry is when people with intentionality, as they're present with you, seek your good and lead you there. We think that it's, it's a norm in the Bible that people, as they're walking along the way as disciples, would have an identifiable few ahead of them, with them, and behind them. And we have, we've structured New City in such a way where we have a culture of intentionality. And as I've met many of you, one of the first things people say about why they love New City and why they've been so blessed and God has used this church to grow them is because of the intentionality. That's the word that many of you have used. And it's a beautiful thing. And we see it here in Paul's ministry. It's a normal, right, and good thing to be intentional. But... Or I should say, and. The next question we must ask is, if we're in present relationship in gospel ministry, and we're pursuing each other with intentionality, the next thing is, what is the goal of gospel ministry? Where are we going to take them? If you're pursuing them, what are you going to do then? Where are you going to take them then? Look with me here in verse 17 again. We'll pick it up in the second half. Well, I'll read the whole thing, I suppose. They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. You see, the, the actions of the false teachers could be compared to those of a, a seducer who would alienate a husband or a wife from her husband. A seducer who would come in and woo a wife away from her spouse. Paul uses this exact word in a very similar situation to the Corinthians. You're being wooed away, away from your love, away from your husband. And that's exactly what's happening here. The goal for the false teachers is to walk with the Galatians, making much of them so that they would become dependent upon the false teachers. And in so doing, Paul says, they would shut you out. And what he means by that is they would come in, they would separate you from me, 
And in so doing, they would separate you from the gospel of Jesus that I'm bringing to you. They would shut you out from that. Why? So that you would make much of them. So that they would have a huge following. Their goal is to convince you of their teaching so that they may boast in you. Now, Paul's goal is completely different than that. In fact, Paul's goal is the exact opposite, and we're going to see it in two ways. He states his goal, but before then, let's keep reading in verse 18. He says, that's true of them. They want to shut you out so that you may make much of them. That's their goal in pursuing you. That's their goal in being present with you. He says, it's always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. What does he mean there? What he means is that I'm not jealous of them. I'm not jealous of them. In fact, if they want to pursue you, Yes, that is great. It is always good to have someone in your life who's pursuing you with intentionality. However, the reason that they're pursuing you is disgusting and despicable. If they were, if they were pursuing you in order to, to form Christ in you, I would be glad. But they're not. They're not. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. And right here, this is the goal of all gospel ministry. This is the goal of all gospel ministry. Everything that Paul does in his ministry is a means to this end. That Christ would be formed in people. Everything that we do at New City is a means to the end of seeing Christ formed in us. This is, this is gospel ministry. This is the goal of gospel ministry, to see people be changed, to see Christ be formed in people's lives. Listen, Christ formed in your life is not behavior modification. Christ formed in your life is not keeping the rules. Christ formed in your life is not becoming spiritual in the sense of the pop culture definition. That's not what Christ formed in you is. In short, this is what Christ formed in you is. The spirit of Jesus lives in you and he's taking you over. He lives in you and he's going into every part of your life, every part of your heart that enslaves you, every part that's not conquered by his lordship and he is pointing it out, saying, I died for that. And calling you into repentance over and over and over. And Paul's saying that he's designed it in such a way, Jesus has, that we do this in community, in community that is intentional, and we do it together. And he's inviting and reminding the Galatians remember, we've done this before, and it's difficult. Walking with people as Christ is formed in them is difficult. That's why he likens it to childbirth. <laughs> He's saying, we ha- now, although you're, you are believers, because of this, these issues with the false teachers, we have to go back and begin where we were before. And Paul intends to do just that. It's a process. Christ formed in you in gospel ministry. You being used in gospel ministry to bring about Christ formed in others is a process. It's hard, it's difficult. And as I was reflecting on this in my own life, I had to step back and say, what is my goal for the people that I'm responsible for? 
you know, and I just got to be honest with you, um, as I thought about this, I realized that when I am not engaging in this work of Christ being formed in me, and to say it much simpler, like we say it around here, when I'm not seeing Jesus, when I'm not seeing Jesus in daily habits of reading the Bible, gospel community, those types of things, when I'm not seeing him, I'm way less present with my kids. I'm way less present with my wife. Uh, my intention and my pursuit of them is way less. And to be honest with you, my goal for them is subpar. I mean, at best, right? With my kids, it just becomes, especially with Livy. Listen, please, my goal is that you would behave so you don't make me look like an idiot in this restaurant. Like, that's my goal. Right then, if, if I have succeeded as a parent, if she sits down and doesn't act like a banshee, that is a win, right? That's a win for me. That becomes my ultimate goal. And with, my, with Leah, you know, it's, uh, I would settle for a pleasant, fun relationship and just never do the work of going deeper, never do the work of repenting to her, never doing the work of praying for her, never doing the work of confronting her in my own sin and even in her sin. It's because if Christ isn't being formed in me, I have nothing to give. And so that would bring us to the last thing, and that is the motive for gospel ministry. And you'll notice that on the screen, the last two points, gospel was in parentheses. I'm sorry, in uh, quotation marks, and this is why. The first two points, Paul has no difference from the false teachers, right? They're present. Their goal is presence. They have a goal. They're pursuing that goal. I'm sorry, they have an intention, and they're pursuing that intention. The difference is in the goal and the motive, That's the difference between the false teachers and Paul. Paul wants them to see their goal is wrong. It's self-serving. And now he points to the motive. Look with me here in verse 18 again. It's always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I, again, I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Look now in verse, or chapter 6, verse 12 and 13. I'll read it. Paul's speaking as he's closing about these false teachers. He says, For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised. Why? Why? That they may boast in your flesh. That's why they want to boast in you. That's why they're after you. That's their goal. Why would they do this? Why would they need the Galatians to boast in? Well, it's because they have something they have to prove. That's why. I get this. Don't you get this? What's your tape that's running in your mind? You know, that voice in your head? That voice that makes you acutely aware of how you don't measure up. That voice that makes you feel uh, like an orphan. That voice that makes you feel like, if I don't do this, I'll be found out. And for me, that's it. My biggest fear, the tape that runs in my mind when I'm afraid, when I'm doing things in my own strength, is that someone will find me out. 
particularly when I was in college. Uh, coming into college, uh, I didn't really try much in school. In fact, I didn't really like it. And uh, I got into college barely, and I was on academic probation when I stepped on the campus. You know, I'd never taken a class, and I was on academic probation. This is a true story. If, anyone else, if that's true about anyone else, please come. I'd love some fellowship over that. <laughs> so that was my story. I walk on the college campus, and I started doing well because I thought, maybe I should try since I'm paying for this. And so I started to try and I started to do well and I started to study and my professors started to see potential in me and they would tell me that. And then it, it made something in me come alive and I thought, well, well, this is good. This feels good. And I remember uh, I changed my major to philosophy. It's a long story. I'm sure I'll tell you sometime about that. And I'm sitting in class with the dean of the school, of the uh, department, and he finds out that I'm a Christian. Now, we had had a good relationship, and I think he was kind of impressed with me, and I'm not sure why, but I think he was. But then he found out I was a Christian. And this huge look of disappointment came across his face. And after class, he said, hey, come into my office. I need to talk to you. And I'll never forget this. I walk in. It was the most disgusting place I'd ever been in. There's books everywhere. And on his desk, there was one place where there wasn't papers and books. And he was leaning forward, and he had his hands right here. And he said, first thing out of his mouth, Damien, I thought you were smart. Oh, that was the first time I realized what my tape was. It was like he had stuck a dagger in my heart and just twisted it because he had found me out. I'm really not as smart as you think I am. What's your tape? Parents, what's driving you? What's your motive in your parenting? What's your motive? Why do, why do I want my daughter to memorize the Bible? Well, sometimes, honestly, it's so I can show her off because I am a pastor after all. Community group leaders, why are you leading? It's a huge sacrifice. It's a huge sacrifice. For those of you who are in groups, uh, you know this. Your leaders pray for you. They spend time thinking about you. They're preparing their heart and minds. But why, community group leaders, why? What's our motive? What is your motive? Is it to fill a need, a gap in your own life? Or is it to bless people as you have been blessed? And that's exactly where Paul goes. Paul's motive is this. Look with me in chapter 6. Verse 14, but far be it from me to boast, this is Paul, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. I find that in my gospel ministry to anyone, that I am much more free, much more fruitful. My ministry is much more powerful when I am being transformed by the gospel and I don't need their approval. I'm, I am there in that moment to bless them, to be used by God to bless them. I don't need their approval. I don't need them to bless me because I'm there to bless them. And that's what Paul says. Paul says the only way we can have true motives, pure motives, is if we understand how loved we are in Christ. If our identity is in the fact that Jesus died for our sins on the cross and now we are dead to them. And insofar as Paul and insofar as you and I live into that reality, we can experience the gospel. Listen, Jesus is the one who's ultimately present with you. Jesus is the one who is ultimately pursuing you with zeal. He thinks about us more than we could ever dream of thinking about ourselves. 
That's what happens when you zealously pursue someone. We don't have to worry about his motives. They're always pure. They're always for our good. They're always to release us from bondage, to release us from this grab for power, to release us for this need from control, to release us from the tapes in our mind that would say, you don't measure up. Jesus, Christ in you, is, Paul says, your hope of glory. And so Paul invites us and he invites the Galatians. Look to Jesus for your strength. Look to Jesus for your identity and I will bless you. You will experience my love and I will gladly use you in the life of others. Let's pray. Father, um, we thank you for sending your son. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you did come down to us. You became as us that we may follow you and we may know you. You lived the life we should have lived and died the death you should have died. And we ask your forgiveness. We ask your forgiveness for running to other things for our identity. And in doing that, our motives of loving others, our motives of, in our relationships become skewed. We thank you that you freed us from that. We thank you that you're pursuing us. We thank you that you're present with us. We thank you that you have a goal for us and that is to make us into your image. And we ask now that we would lean into that this week as we go. We ask that we would feel a desire to be with you in the morning in CBR and in your word, that we would have a desire to be in gospel community, submitting to one another, encouraging one another, loving one another. We ask that you would do this work in our lives, in our community groups, in our church, in our neighborhoods, and in our city. In Jesus' name.